Well, God's good, amen? And I'm excited, um, not just about today, but I'm excited about um, what I believe is coming for our church. I'm excited about what I feel like God is doing. And, and I want to talk to you about that some today. Um, we're actually uh, going to be in Joshua chapter 1 first, and then we're going to go to James chapter 4. So if you want to find Joshua chapter 1 and uh, towards sort of the front of the Old Testament, and then we're going to flip uh, back in, uh, to the New Testament to James chapter 4. And so I want to read, let's just go ahead and read uh, and get into Joshua chapter 1. We're just going to read the first two verses and then we'll read uh, James 4, 1 through 10. And so let's get into this and, and uh, just pray that the Lord uh, would speak to our hearts. It says in Joshua 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses is aid. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. And then over in James chapter 4, verse 1, it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why the spirit says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and well. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So I've been praying a lot this week, reading through James and, and uh, just kind of wrestling, trying to figure out exactly what God wanted me to share with you this morning. And I started thinking about kind of where we are as a church and the thought of a transition came to mind. I, I feel like the last even maybe couple of years, our church has been in a transition that we've been kind of going and beginning to turn a little bit in a different direction, to, to more towards a, a little bit different uh, maybe path that God has for us. And I thought about how common transition is, right? I mean, we all transition in different things. We transition in seasons of life, whether it's, you know, growing up and, and going to high school or graduating high school and going to college or graduating college and getting a job. We all go through transitions and seasons. And, and I don't think there's a transition that may be more difficult um, than the transition of being a married couple to being a married couple with a child. Amen? And here's the thing, though. We know the transition's coming. I've read stories of, like, where, you know, a girl, like, didn't know she was pregnant. One day she had a baby. I don't think that's typical. But I guess it could happen. But typically we know it's coming, right? And so what do we do? We begin to prepare, 
We begin to get ready. And so uh, we have showers for the, the future mom and, and we give diapers and baby food and bottles and formula and all kind of stuff to help them out during this transition that they're about to go through. So we're preparing for this transition. We're getting ready for what um, is about to come. And we were no different when we were about to have our first child. Um, we, we didn't want to know what it was, if it was a girl or a boy. And so we just... Um, Decided to paint everything yellow, right? Just that neutral color. Anybody else, you kind of did that whole thing. You didn't know what it was going to be, so you just painted it a yellow or, or you know, something like that. No blue or pink, right? And so um, when, when uh, we did this, we, we didn't want to know what the, the, the sex of the baby was going to be. But my wife, she said, well, just in case we decide we want to know, could you put it in the envelope and we'll just open it if, you know, we decide we want to know what it is. And so she got the envelope. Well, Susan, knowing me, knew that at some point I would open the envelope. And, and, and so she knew that my curiosity would get the best of me. So she decided she would just hide it. And so she, she hid it and I made a deal with her. I said, look, if I can find the envelope, do I get to open it? She said, yes, you'll never find it. Y'all, this is the honest truth. I'm standing here, a man of God, right? I stopped right there and I said, God, where's the envelope? And this is no joke. The first thing that popped in my mind was on top of the china cabinet. Random, right? I got over there. I got a chair. I stood up in the chair, reached my hand over the molding on the china cabinet, pulled out, and the envelope was there. And she starts backpedaling. She's like, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no, 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 no. I still didn't get to open the envelope, but at least I instilled a little fear in her, right? And so that's not typical. I don't do that all the time. But, um, but, but I found that, you know, we're preparing. We're getting everything ready. We're getting car seats. And, you know, I'm trying not to cuss and lose my religion putting in the car seat and you're getting prepared and nothing really ever fully prepares you for having a child but we make preparations for this new season that is coming well the same thing for us is what I feel I feel like that's where we are as a church right now in fact when you look at Joshua chapter 1 the very first thing we read is that God tells Joshua Moses is dead and he's not just telling him that to give him some information. He's telling him that because a season has come to an end. Moses' leadership has come to an end. Moses is no longer in the scene. This generation that was disobedient and unfaithful, they've passed away. He's basically saying, Joshua, we're going into a new season. We're about to transition into something new. When I was reading this a while back, I felt like, that's what God is saying to me. I feel like we've been in a little bit of a transition for a while now. And then I came to this next part. It says, now then, you and the, all these people get ready. And when I read that, it struck me so much, I wrote down the date beside it. It was August 17th of this year. And I felt like God was saying, 
You need to begin to get ready for what I'm wanting to do through this church, through my church. And so I began to pray, and I feel like God's been showing me a lot of stuff, been teaching me all kinds of things, been showing me a lot of new direction for where we're going, and we're going to talk about that in the future. But the thing that I really want to encourage you with, and we don't need to get the cart ahead of the horse, what we need to see is that before we can step into what God wants for us, and before we can step into a new season of life and and God and what he wants for his church, listen, we've got to get ready. We've got to prepare And I believe the next few weeks, that's what God's really put on my heart that we began to do. We're we're in a series of, or a season of preparation, right? It's it's the Christmas season. We make all kind of preparation. You know, some are with gifts and things like that. But but a lot of it is preparing our heart for the season to, to be thankful and to remember the birth of Christ. But I believe that this season is a preparation Uh, not just to celebrate that holiday, but a preparation to step into what God has for us in the future. I believe that what he has is greater. I believe that what he has is going to be be incredible. I believe he's going to be exalted. I believe that God's going to do great things. I, I don't think we've seen the end of that. But we've got to prepare. And that's where James 4 comes in. James chapter four. How many of you know that when you're preparing for something, especially something that seems big and important, a lot of times your preparation isn't easy. Anybody ever experienced that? You ever done a triathlon or something like that like me? I've done 14 of them. You can laugh. Never done one, never wanted to do one. Thank you very much. But you prepare for something like that. The training's not easy. You, you prepare for a football season, two days in August, it's not easy. You prepare for Black Friday like my wife does every year. You got to get mentally prepared. It's not easy, right? But when we prepare for things, it's, it's not always easy. And I don't believe that today that parts of this message are easy, but listen, they are essential They're essential for where we are going as a church. They're essential for what God wants to do through his church, the big C church. I I believe that with all my heart. And so we're gonna look at this in preparation. We're gonna look at this as we get ready, as we prepare our hearts for the next season that God has for us. We're going to get ready and prepare our hearts. And James Chapter four, he begins it this way. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Now he's beginning to talk about how relationships amongst people in the church weren't right. Before this, in the end of chapter three, he talks about two types of wisdom. One type of wisdom he says is unspiritual it's, it's, it's demonic even. And he says, you, you don't want to live by this type of wisdom. He tells us that it's driven by selfish ambition, by envy. 
He says, and out of this type of wisdom, this type of living, this type of understanding, this type of belief, he says all types of evil come from this selfish ambition type of life. And then he tells us in here, he says there's a different type of wisdom though, and it's the wisdom that comes from heaven. He says this type of wisdom is pure, it's peace-loving, considerate, submissive, it's full of mercy and good fruit, it's not partial, it's sincere. And he says this type of wisdom, it ultimately leads to a harvest of righteousness. And he's comparing, contrasting these two types of wisdom. And when we look at it, any rational person would look at it and say, I wanna live by that heavenly type of wisdom. I wanna have compassion, I wanna show mercy. I don't wanna just be a jerk. I wanna, I wanna be able to live in this type of wisdom. And for James, wisdom wasn't just some intellectual understanding. It was experience with God. It's a knowing God and a discernment that comes from experience and knowing God that guides our actions. It wasn't a, um, apathetic or passive wisdom. It was a wisdom that caused action and he said, Saying, listen, if you live according to the wisdom of God, in other words, if you um, bring Christ's teachings into your life and you live according to the wisdom of God that has been revealed in Christ, he's saying this is what comes out of your life. And so he's comparing and contrasting them. We may look at the heavenly type of wisdom and we may say, yeah, that's what I want. But James in that end of chapter three, he really doesn't tell us how it comes about. But in chapter four, we're about to get into how this actually happens in our life. He brings up the issue. He's saying the issue is this. Look, the, this, this is a symptom of a deeper problem, but this is what's going on. There's fighting and quarreling among you. Can we honestly today, church, listen, can we honestly today be, be honest with ourselves and realize there's a lot of broken relationships in the church? Now, look, not just relationships in this one. There are, usually on a Sunday morning, I can see somebody on this side and then I see somebody on this side and I'm like, my gosh, I hope they don't know each other's here. Because we're gonna have to break up a fight, right? And then, but it goes beyond Connection Church. It's in the Big C Church. It's why we have over 900 different denominations and sects of Christianity. It's because we can't get along. Relationships are broken. We can't get along with each other. And so he's really stating the obvious that's existed since the, the beginning of the church, that there's fights and quarrels among you. He says, listen, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? He's not asking a question. He doesn't know the answer. He knows the answer. He's saying, look, these desires that are battling within you, this war that goes on inside of you, this conflict within you that, that makes you wanna go after everything you want, that makes you want to have it your way, that makes you want, that makes you want to put yourself in the seat of God, to put yourself in the place of, of, of authority, to be the master. He's saying it's those desires in you that are causing this evil to come out of you that is causing the disruption 
corruption of these relationships. Y'all good? Y'all a lot quieter than nine. I think I preach better at nine. Y'all should probably come at nine. But he says, look, these desires, they're, they're battling in you. And this is why the fights and quarrels exist, is this battle, this, this sensual desire for what you want. He says, you desire, but you do not have. So you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. I don't think they were literally going around killing each other. But I believe James intentionally uses the word kill because he wants us to understand how horrific it is in God's sight to see his children fighting and divided over things that we shouldn't be fighting and divided over. He's saying, look, this is killing you. This selfish ambition, I know this would be a shock to y'all that there's selfish ambition that's existed in the church. Even existed among pastors. You believe that? Shocking. He says this, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So he's showing us here that these broken relationships are a symptom of a big issue. Then he goes on, he begins to talk about prayer. He says, you don't have what you ask for because you don't pray. What does that indicate? A broken relationship with God. He's saying basically your selfish ambition's gotten in between you and God because you're trying to kick God off the throne and put yourself there. Is this getting on anybody's toes like it got on mine this week? See, I, I heard this before you hear it today. So my toes are already stepped on. He's saying, look, basically the relationships this way are broken between people because the relationship this way is broken. He's saying your desire to put yourself in the place of God, to kick him out of his rightfully place and, and in rightful place and insert yourself there. He's saying that is the issue. That's what's causing the problem is if this relationship is broken, there's no way these relationships will ever be right. We can take this to our marriage. We can take this to our parenting. We can take this to our workplace. Wherever there is a relationship to be found, this is true. No relationship is going to be right. It's not going to be what it could be. It's not going to be what God wants it to be if my relationship with God is not right. And so he's saying, look, this is broken. You don't pray. That's an indicator. He says, when you do pray, you're not interested in what God wants. You're just interested in what you want. It made me think when I read that again, it made me think about when Peter began to rebuke Jesus because Jesus said he was going to go to the cross. He was going to suffer and die. And Peter's like, no way, this can't happen. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. I feel like that's what James is saying. You guys are the church, but you don't have in mind the things of God. You got in mind the things of man, specifically you. 
And he's saying this in a way, he's saying, look, you may be saved and you may have put your faith in Christ and and this may be AC for you after Christ, but you're living your life like it's BC. Like you haven't even met him. And he's hammering down. And then he's, he's shown us the symptom. He's saying, look around you. Look around you at the broken relationships. Look around you at the brokenness uh, between you and others. Look around at the brokenness in yourself. He's saying it's pointing you to an issue. He's saying, but the real problem is the broken relationship with God. Now he's gonna tell us what causes it. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Whereas he's like, look, The issue is you've given the world your allegiance. You've given the world and its system your allegiance. You're focused in on the world, its wants and its desires and what your wants and desires are in the world. And he's saying, this is the issue. You're adulterous. You've been unfaithful to God. You've been unfaithful to him. After all he's done, after who you see who he is, you've been unfaithful. And he's saying it to the church today just as well. And see, here's the thing, y'all. We've got to see this. We've got to get this right if we're going to step into what God wants for us. Listen, I believe that there's a lot that God wants to do, but it's not going to just happen because I stand up here and say, there's a new season coming. We've got to get our hearts right. He's saying the problem is your allegiance. The problem is where your heart is. In other words, the problem is you're double-minded and you're adulterous and your heart is, you're trying to split it in half. But you can only have one master. You can't be the master and worship the master at the same time because he's not, that, that, that don't even work. So now that we've kind of beat that up, right? He he goes on in verse six. And you know, like, if you're reading this and, and you're hearing me talk about it, there's part of you that you're like, man, it makes you feel kind of cruddy. It makes you, it doesn't necessarily make you feel good, right? Imagine when they read this, it was the same way. But he gets to verse six and he says this, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. It's as if he brings them to this point of like, what's the hope, right? What's the use? Why would I even try anymore? And he goes, but listen, even as as much as you've turned your back, even as much as you've walked away, even as much as you've put your desires ahead of his, even as adulterous as you have been, even as as deep as maybe you wounded the heart of God, 
The song we sang is still true. He's coming after us. He's telling us his grace never stops. It never ceases. He never quits pursuing. And James is encouraging them, look, it's bad. You've gotten in a bad place. But here's the good news. It's not too late. Just simply turn back to God. His grace is there. His grace is ever extended to you. You can't outrun it. It made me think about when Paul wrote where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And we hear that and it sort of can bring a sigh of relief. Like, Ooh. But see, here's the thing. That type of grace, that type of love, it should prompt a response. I would even go so far as say this. It demands a response. If someone extended that kind of grace to you and you didn't show appreciation and they would be highly offended, we know we wouldn't do that even with somebody. How can we do it with God? If we really see the price he's paid, if we really see how big his grace is, how can we look him in the face? How can we see the grace? How can we receive the love? How can we receive the spirit? How can we taste his goodness and then just say, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to do my own thing anyway. That kind of grace, that kind of love, it calls for a response. A rational person would make a positive response to that. And see, if we can see that, if the Spirit can open our eyes to that, then what ends up happening is the wisdom of God begins to come. We realize we violated His laws. We've fallen short of the glory of God. But the wisdom of God has been revealed in Christ because in Christ, the the unrighteous or the righteous became unrighteous so that we could become the righteousness of God. He revealed his wisdom in Jesus. It may be foolish to the world and to those who are perishing, but to those who believe it's the power of God for salvation. And he's revealing this wisdom. And if we can see this and see the grace and see the power of his love and the power of, of what he's done for us, and it brings a response. And this is the response he calls us to. This is basically him showing us what it looks like to humble ourselves before the Lord. In verse 7, he says, submit yourselves then to God. That word then, what's he saying? Submit yourselves then. Then points back to the grace. Then points back to how God favors the humble. He's saying because this is true, you need to, to submit yourself to God. Because this is who God is. This is what God's done. Submit yourself to him. That word is not just a sort of like passive thing. It's a literal enlisting. It's assigning yourself to him. It's saying I'm coming in line with you as a soul. Now, what is my first marching order? He then says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. What does that look like? It looks like standing in the wisdom of heaven. It's standing in the truth of Christ. It's standing in the truth of, of, of the word of God. It's anchoring deep into that. 
and not wavering. It's realizing that, that the lies of the enemy won't move me if I'm standing in the truth of God. I can resist him in the truth. I can stand firm in confidence knowing that God has deposited his spirit into my heart, into my life. And because of that, I know that the one who's in me is greater than the one who is in the world. So I don't have to fear the mountain. I don't have to fear the circumstance. I can stand firm in the truth knowing that no matter what comes tomorrow, no matter what today might bring, I'm going to stand in the wisdom of God, even in the trial and the tribulation, the wisdom of God, the word of God that's able to save my soul has been deposited into my life. And I'm going to stand firm knowing that the victory is sure. And that even though the trial and the trouble comes, I've already won. And I'm going to continue to stand firm in the wisdom of God. I'm going to resist, I'm going to submit, and I'm going to resist. He says, come near to God and he'll come near to you. So I submit to him. I put my allegiance to God alone. I resist the enemy knowing I can stand firm in the power of the spirit and in his truth. And then I draw near to God. I press into him. And he says, he draws near to me. And see, He's about to tell us, listen, listen, listen. He then says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The thing is, though, that in our minds, in our perspective, we always clean ourselves up, get our heart right, get rid of our sin, and then I draw near to God. But James is telling us plainly that it doesn't work like that. He's saying, you, you sinner with filthy hands, with a dirty heart, you, you see Christ, you see the grace, you humble yourself, submitting to God in complete allegiance to him. You resist the enemy that would try to pull you a different direction and you draw near to God. And when you draw near to God, God begins to do a work in you that's going to transform you, that's going to get rid of the sin. And listen, you may be able to modify your behavior some by getting uh, the, the sin cleansing and all of this ahead of drawing close to God. But the only way heart transformation happens is when I draw close to him and his presence begins to work in me. We get it backwards. He says, grieve, mourn, and well. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And he says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. He brings it right back around to verse six. He says, look, the wisdom from heaven is that I live my life holy in allegiance with God. I submit myself to him. I resist the enemy standing firm in the truth. I'm not gonna be blown to and fro by every wave and wind and lie that comes from the pit of hell. I'm gonna stand firm in the truth. I'm gonna anchor myself down in the wisdom of God. And then I'm gonna draw near to him. I'm gonna draw near and listen, in the presence of God, Man, the things of the world, we sing this at times, but the things in the world become strangely dim. They lose a lot of their glitter. They lose a lot of their shine. They, in, in, in view of God and his mercy, 
Other things don't seem to be as important. But see, we've got to come to a different perspective. For many of us, obedience to God has always been a burden because our perspective's been wrong. I got to clean up. I got to be right. I got to do right. Or I can't come to God. We, we've lost a lot of times the, the, the just enjoying his presence. Church, we got to get our heart right. We got to recognize things are broken. Things are broken in relationships that I have. Things are broken in me. Things are broken between me and God. And the root cause of that is my own selfish ambition, my own desires, my own wants that war inside of me. But God's grace is greater. And if I humble myself, if I can get a different perspective, if I can see how great His grace is, then my response is just even rational. I can see how great his grace is. And remember, he has deposited his spirit in me. And I begin to pray. And I begin to draw near. And I begin to read. And I begin to press into God. And he begins to stir in me the spirit that he deposited in me when I came to faith in Christ. And that begins to go from a flicker of a flame to a a fire. we got to get a different perspective. We got to see the grace, the love. We got to call on the power of the Spirit. When uh, I, I got, I'm going to close with this, but when I got um, the truck I have now, I uh, bought it in 2010, had 12,000 miles on it, 190,000 now, almost 190. Um, almost got it like I like it now. Um, but I bought it, and it was like new. I don't know if it had been a demo or what, but it was like new. And uh, I remember thinking, I want to keep this thing perfectly clean, right? Anybody ever lied to yourself about that with a new car or something? Well, I was like, I'm going to keep it clean. And I remember um, when my children would get in there, <laughs> I realized, like, this is going to be harder than I thought. And I remember my oldest son would get in, and, at the time, he was about eight years old, and uh, he would always put his cleats on by pushing them against my dash, right there against the glove box. I'd be like, son, take your feet off the dash. He's like, I'm going to help, so I'm going to put them on. I will push against the floor. Next time we get in the car, we're going to the ball field, Right? dash scratched to pieces didn't take long and I remember every time I get onto him son take your feet off the dash well that was eight years ago Tuesday that son is turning 16 those scratches have a whole different meaning now It's no longer about my truck being damaged. It's about the memories. And see, here's the thing. What's different? The scratches are still there, right? But my perspective's changed. 
that's what's got to happen for us. See, we're all scratched. We're all damaged. Everybody around us is scratched and damaged. There are many of us who those scratches have have been put on us by others. And right now we're struggling with unforgiveness and bitterness that that is hindering us from being able to be in healthy relationships. I'm not telling you you got to be back in relationship with the one who hurt you, but it still hinders you from being in healthy relationships with others. I know this. I, I had to have a time with a good friend and mentor of mine this week where we began to go through some of this, and I began to realize how deeply rooted some of this unforgiveness and bitterness was, and I didn't know how I could let go of some of that but I had to get a different perspective and realize that in light of what Jesus has forgiven me of, how can I hold on to this? For some of us, the scratches in our life that are hindering us are scratches that we've inflicted. And we wonder like, how, how am I ever gonna be free of this? need to realize that God's got a different perspective than you he doesn't see the scratches the same way you see them as a reminder of how honestly bad you suck God sees them as redeemable and he sees you as a trophy of grace that he can take you from this and bring you to this For some of us, we know that our selfish ambition, our, our, our insatiable desires, it's been misplaced. We've put them in other things. We haven't put them in God. And some of you run a long, 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 long way. But I want to remind you that God's grace, his love is unceasing. And today, listen, today, repentance is there. I can turn from this, turn to him. I can come home. I don't know if you're like me, but this week it hit me hard because I realized that a lot of my allegiance has not been holy to God. Probably like me, you got a lot of scratches. But today I really want to encourage you. We'll humble ourselves. We'll submit ourselves. We draw near in light of God's grace and his goodness. He draws near to us. And so today, I want to pray that God would meet you here at the point of your need, whatever that might be. So I'm going to ask today, you know, my allegiance has been elsewhere. Maybe it's bitterness and forgiveness. It scratches in your heart that somebody else inflicted. Maybe it's unforgiveness towards yourself because of scratches that you've inflicted on yourself or others. Listen, maybe 
maybe it's just downright disobedience and selfish ambition and giving in to insatiable lust for the things of the flesh. I don't know what it is for you, but if today you would say, I am submitting myself to God because not because, listen, not because I'm, I'm bad in this, but because I see the grace of God and his love for me and I want to spend my life worshiping him. Listen, this is a call for you who have given your life to Christ and maybe those for you today who are coming to faith for the first time. That's where you're at, and you say today, laying it down, man. God, I'm submitting to you, and I'm going to lift my eyes up to you. I'm going to quit settling for this low stuff. But today, if you say, I'm, I'm coming to him, I'm coming home, I'm coming to him, I want you to stand. I want us to pray. I want to pray that God would meet you where you are. Today, that's your response. heart of repentance heart of turning that you're humbling yourself before the Lord I'm going to give the Holy Spirit a little time to speak to some of y'all because maybe I wasn't very clear in this Maybe he'll be a lot more clear if he hasn't spoken to your heart because either some of you aren't responding and you know you should or we're a lot worse off than I thought. Father, I thank you. I thank you for those who today declare God, that there's scratches in their life. There's things that aren't right. But God, give us, give me a different perspective. Help us to see your grace. Help us to get our eyes off of this world. Help us to love you more. God, I pray, I pray God, that you would rebuke us in our complacency. And that through that, we lift our eyes back to you, God, the source of our hope. I know I want, and I know there's others who want to be a part of whatever it is you have in mind. Lord, I pray your spirit will continue to speak to us even after we walk out of these doors, Lord, that they would, that we'd have ears to hear, Lord. God, we could live a life that's wholly submitted to you, worshiping you because of who you are and what you've done, Lord. You deserve it. You're worthy of it. So we give that to you.